Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You watch the horror that's going on in Ukraine, and it is horrible. It is absolutely horrible, and there's no reason to think it's not going to get worse. They're going full Syria. Russia is going full Syria on Ukraine, and they're just going to pummel people in buildings until... Not even until they submit. They're They're just whimpering, and you just walk in and take over, I guess. Right. It's beyond oh. submit. It's like you can't even resist anymore. Oh, and by the way, if you are in the mood for just utterly loathsome, uh, the word is uh, Russia is now Ukraine is now recruiting veterans of Assad's war of genocide against the Syrian people. I'm sorry, I'm trying to read and talk at the same time. Always a bad idea. Uh, he's they're recruiting Syrians who are hardened. In block-to-block, street-to-street slaughter of civilians, use of chemical weapons, guys who are so hardened they don't give a damn about executing a family in the street or that sort of thing, if you can imagine. Great, Scott. So here's uh, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida on the idea of a no-fly zone. People need to understand what a no-fly zone means. It's not just it's not some rule you pass that everybody has to oblige by. It's the willingness to shoot down the aircrafts of the Russian Federation, which is basically the beginning of World War III. Right. So not only do you have to be willing to shoot down um, Russian planes, but the first thing you do in establishing a no-fly zone so you don't get your plane shot down is you take out the anti-aircraft stuff, which is going to be a direct attack on Russian equipment and probably kill Russian soldiers. That's before you even start. The idea of shooting their planes out of the sky. Uh, New York Times column over the weekend from Ross Duthat draws on the experience of the uh, Cold War and how we handled that on and on why we should not have a no-fly zone. I'm not I'm not sure I agree with this, but I'll just give this to you and uh, and discuss. We were extremely careful about direct escalation with the Soviets. Even when they invaded Hungary, if you're familiar with that story back in 56 or Czechoslovakia in 68 or what was going on in Afghanistan, we stayed out of those. As people were slaughtered in the streets by the Soviet Union, we stayed out of those, and the result was a Cold War victory without nuclear war. To escalate now against a weaker adversary, one less likely to ultimately defeat us and more likely to engage in atomic recklessness if cornered, would be a grave and existential folly. That might be true, but it is kind of weird to make the argument that we didn't get involved because they were too strong, but we're not going to get involved this time because they're too weak. (laughs) Okay, so, all right. Right. I'm reminded that there are many think tanks in Washington, D.C., getting many, many dollars contributed, and in return they churn out papers. um, and, And often they're very well thought out and very intelligent, but they're as likely to be wrong as right. Uh, I was reading a point, a a compare and contrast of Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait back in the day and how we assembled an international coalition and, and drove him back and, and many, many nations of the world joined together in what was clearly, clearly overwhelming force and said, this will not stand in a civilized world. And that was one tin horn dictator invading another tin horn dictator's little oil country um, and and it really didn't have that much 
it didn't make that much difference on the international scene or in terms of human rights or or the world order or anything like that. I mean, obviously, it was a bad example, but it just wasn't that big a deal. Well, we put together a, f- a half a million troops, like 90 countries involved. Right. And the contrast drawn was, now, wait a second. Here you have a malevolent power in Europe taking on a free people for utterly uh, morally and politically indefensible reasons, and the West has done essentially nothing, and I don't have it in front of me. i got to find it because it was really well written, but it pointed out for a couple of reasons. Number one, Europe's fantasy that pacifism would bring peace over the last several decades. The the childlike, unicornian, moronic notion that weakness brings peace. It's hard for me to even wrap my head around somebody believing that, but some people do. And the second thing is America's overreach, horrible handling of the Iraq thing. Even if the Iraq invasion was a good idea, the execution of it was unforgivable. And then the terrible pullout of Afghanistan. Uh, and Putin knew, as Chairman Xi knows, that America's kind of on the back foot. We're not really confident on when we project power and how we project power and that sort of thing. And, you know, you can't undo what's done. But if some of those terrible mistakes hadn't been made, this is absolutely the sort of thing where those 141 countries that voted to condemn the invasion in the in the UN would have said yeah hell yeah we're in are in uh, we're in our guys are in our weapons are in putin you're not taking ukraine and it would not have happened and the nuclear arms saber rattling wouldn't have happened but unfortunately i think you'd need a time machine to undo what's been done. Right. Um, let me read a little from this Wall Street Journal opinion piece from the editorial board. But, like, yeah, I've got a little of my question. So we don't get to say to him, hey, yeah, we got a lot of nuclear weapons, too. You want to get into that battle? Here's what it'll look like. Rather, we just, well, I'll read from this. Everything American won't do on Ukraine. This is the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Telling Putin what he doesn't need to worry about won't stop him. The WSJ saying, we support President Biden's effort to assist Ukraine against Russia, and his administration has raised its game considerably since the invasion. But one continuing frustration is the administration's habit of telling Vladimir Putin what the U.S. and NATO will will not do. The tendency was on display again Friday at a NATO summit in Brussels, where Secretary of State Antony Blinken was asked at a press conference about the alliance imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine. His response will not cause Russian tank drivers to lose any sleep. Uh, with regard to the no-fly zone, that's my Anthony Blinken impersonation, where I sound like an academic. Even as we're doing everything we can to give the Ukrainian people the means to defend themselves effectively against Russia, we also have a responsibility to ensure that the war doesn't spill over to beyond Ukraine. He added, the only way to actually implement something like a no-fly zone is to send NATO planes into Ukraine. That would start a war in Europe. President Biden has been clear that we are not going to get into a war with Russia. I'm not advocating a war with Russia, but there's already a war in Europe. Right. We need to start one. The Wall Street Journal adds, no one wants a U.S.-Russia shooting war, and Mr. Blinken makes an important point that a no-fly zone would require NATO pilots engaging with Russian planes. For that and other reasons, we've said a no-fly zone would be hard to implement and might divide NATO. But why tell Mr. Putin that he has nothing to fear no matter what he does in Ukraine? If he had some doubt about greater military assistance to Ukraine, the Russian might not be so willing to bomb cities with indiscriminate artillery and cluster bombs. And recruit Syrians to go slaughter people in their homes. Is there a reason we can't say everything's on the table, even if we wouldn't do it? 
Maybe is it just the domestic politics? Is that what he's worried about? But I, I think so. We have an open society. We discuss these things. Imagine saying to a guy who's shoved your kid and spit on your wife, I'm gonna t- I would just want to let you know, no matter what you do, I am not gonna throw a punch. Let's just make that clear from the beginning. Right. No matter what happens, I will not throw a punch at you. What? What 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 strategy is that? How do you have any leverage if you start with all the things you won't do? Right, right. There's it's, got it, to be a better way. Well, and it's incredibly difficult to stand by and watch the horror unfold and do nothing when you know we, the free world, have the capability to do something. But to to say it's not our fight. Putin's going to stop at Ukraine almost certainly, and if he doesn't, that's when we move. Uh, it, it's unfortunate, but we have to. We we can't escalate this. Is that cynicism? Is it isolationism? Is it realism? It's in the eye of the beholder. Well, sometimes you know, realism is really hard to take, but the idea oh, yeah. that the crazy, belligerent guy gets to set the terms, he gets to decide how far everybody's going to go. Because we don't want to make him mad. That is yeah, something. It's, tr- it's troubling. It's hard to take. You know, the other thing, and I, God, I think so hard about because I want to bring you good people like a well-reasoned opinion on the stuff and and maybe say how I think it ought to go, but it is so complicated. Uh, I mentioned before the invasion, some of you I'm sure remember this, I was citing a think tank guy from Europe. He's a Russian expert, uh, very, very well thought of, and he wrote an essay on why Putin would not invade. And he spelled out a lot of the things we're saying. He said, Putin does, he's going to do himself much more good by just constantly threatening it and not doing it. Because if he invades, that's going to coalesce NATO. It's going to bring NATO together in a way that they haven't seen in years. Because NATO is getting weak and kind of argumentative with each other and blah, blah, blah. It would hurt the Russian economy. It would do this. This guy was right every single step. Except Putin made the opposite decision. Right. So, man, this stuff is hard. Yeah. Leaders don't always do what's in their nation's interest. That has been proven time and time again throughout history. Right. They have their own reasons, psychological, personal, whatever. Also, uh, took in a great podcast over the weekend and asking the question I've been asking. Does American opinion change? Germany has changed 180 degrees on their view of their interaction with the world and particularly with Russia. How much does opinion change in the United States on the idea of this whole no-fly zone. If it's for domestic consumption that 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 Biden needs to say out loud, look, a no-fly zone, no chance of that. No chance we get involved. None of our pilots, no boots on the ground, no matter what. If that's for domestic consumption, what if opinion changes as we see more of these videos of these, uh, you know, dead kids on the street, if you saw that over the weekend? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's hard because the way politics moves in our country is very different than in a totalitarian regime. And, for instance, if those interventionists among us, you know, throw around the term neocon if you want, um, if they get too much air and they get to... And you don't cut them off, they will involve us in another foreign war that will probably end badly. I'm, I'm speaking from the point of view of the Biden administration. Um, and so you want to tamp that down. At the same time, though, I really appreciated, you know, some of the leaders in the past saying nothing is off the table. Right. Nothing. Right. Then maybe in a cabinet meeting or with the Joint Chiefs, you say, all right, we're almost surely not going to do this unless X, Y, and Z happen. But you don't make it that public. I, I well, there's a there's a crazy old senile guy in charge that doesn't help. Yeah, I'm. Well, I, 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 I,
I can be convinced a no-fly zone at this point is starting World War III, but I can't be convinced that you announce to your opponent everything you're unwilling to do from the outset. I, that just seems crazy to me. I could see, well, yeah, I don't know. There are all sorts of scenarios, and you never know what's going to happen when you let loose the dogs of war. They don't come back when you call. Um, but instead of a no-fly zone, which would necessitate taking out air defenses on Russian territory, because they would put them six inches inside their border. Um, instead of that, you say, hey, Ukraine's beautiful this time of year. 75,000 American troops have decided to vacation there. We're going to start in the far west, and then we're going to explore to the east. Now, we're not going to shoot at anybody unless they shoot at us, but we sure do love our Ukrainian vacations. So that would put it on him. Do you want to start World War III? Mm-hmm. As opposed to him putting it on us. Your decision. Yeah. You want to fire on American troops and start World War III? Does that seem like a good idea to you? I don't know. What do you feel about that? Text line 415-295-KFTC. One more thing I want to hit is how thin we're slicing this on whether or not we're actually in World War III, among other things on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A lot to hate on Saturday Night Live, but uh, kind of friend of the Armstrong and Getty show, that dude that does the Trump impersonation, was on his game as usual. Here's a little of him doing Trump. This is incredibly exciting. No, Former no, no, no. I'm not going to listen to that. Of the stop United- it, stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't want to hear anything. Honestly, it makes me too mad to enjoy it. If we can edit that down to where it's just Trump, I will uh, I will play it later. Every bit, every other part of it was so freaking out of bounds, in my opinion. I just, I can't enjoy the the, the humor. Yeah, it was insufferable. Uh, Saturday Night Live, after a brief, like, vacation from its idiotic one-sided rhetoric, oh. just tripled down on the concept of all Republicans are stupid racists. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, just as a whole, all stupid racists. Yeah. Or conservatives F- in general. F you, Saturday Night Live. Right. Doesn't mean right. this is not funny. I don't know. Can it be funny now after I've been yelling and screaming? No. Can't make the can't. Joe 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 says we can't make the pivot. Well, he, no. He might I be mean, right. uh, 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 between the people who are just pissed off at the general tone of it and then Trump fans, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure what's in it for us. You know, His Trump imitation is stunningly good. Hey, how about this? Uh, but you already know that. Maybe you can explain this breaking news to me. I'm looking up at CNN. I Sup- doubt it, but go ahead. Sup- Supreme Court to revive Bill Cosby's sexual assault prosecution. What? Do you remember oh. why, how he got out? Why? And is the Supreme Court involved now? I, it, it was that whole, and, and I got to look into it, so don't hold me to this. It was the whole question of he was deposed in a civil lawsuit. And assured by the prosecutor in writing, we will not prosecute you criminally. So go ahead and spill the beans at the civil uh, procedure. And then a new prosecutor came in office and said, I didn't sign that. We're going after you. So that ri- r- r- rises to the level of a Supreme Court look. It's it's an interesting legal question whether, you know, a, a simple turn of a calendar or a quick election can render the promises of the government to a defendant void. 
and as loathsome as Cosby and his behavior are, you know, as a, a fan of civil liberties, the idea that, uh, I don't know, some prosecutor cuts a deal with me. Maybe I haven't even done anything because that happens all the time. And I say, okay, all right, I'll sign. Then he says, you know, I'm sick and tired of this job. I'm going to go fishing for the rest of my life. And his deputy takes over, and that deputy says, I'm going to use everything you said against you. I don't have to hold to his opinions when they both represent the government. How many people will understand that this is not the Supreme Court deciding whether or not Bill Cosby is guilty of being a perv? You, me, and the people listening right now. <laughs> and that's it. It's the entire list. Right. Awesome. Oh, I didn't get to the how close, how thinly we're slicing it on whether or not we're directly in a war with Russia. I mean, it's it's being sliced so thin, it, it almost seems like an argument for the no-fly zone to me. Because the step from where we are to that is tinier than you might think. Right, the whole question of a proxy war. Or we're sending contractors, but not soldiers. And, and arms, too, and ammunition, too. But we're not in the war. Not our planes, but Poland's planes, and then we'll su- resupply Poland? I mean, what the heck? Planes are fungible. Um, all that on the way. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Vladimir Putin, who I'm, uh, I'm told is, is now increasingly isolated, is just taking advice from his, his inner circle, that there are only uh, about three people who matter right now. And that speech that Putin gave yesterday, a bizarre location, speaking at Aeroflot to uh, a, a group of flight attendants, uh, he sounded incredibly angry. He, was, he sounded detached. He was talking about uh, how the Ukrainians here are machine gunning people, that they're driving around in cars packed with explosives, jihadi style, and he went uh, very deep and repeatedly on this theme that they're fighting against the Nazis. It was the angriest I've ever seen him. The angriest I've ever seen him, says Richard Engel. We have more on Putin's mindset and strategy and how he got to this point. Really interesting perspective from a former Russian diplomat. We'll get to next segment. Uh, I, I guarantee you will find it interesting. Stay with us if you can. Is Putin like OJ, where he's convinced himself of something? It happens. Even a mind as disciplined as his. So I think gas is about to get really expensive. We got more some of the projections on that coming up. As today... Nancy Pelosi, that's Pelosi, is introducing legislation that seems to have a lot of support from R's and D's to stop taking oil in from Russia. A lot of the heavyweights commenting on it yesterday, including Marco Rubio. We have more than enough ability in this country to produce enough oil to make up for the the percentage that we buy from Russia. This notion that somehow banning Russian oil would raise prices on American consumers is an admission that this guy, that this killer, that this butcher, Vladimir Putin, has leverage over us. So I think we have enough of it. We should produce more American oil and buy less Russian oil or none, actually none at all. Yeah, I like that angle. Look, you're making the argument I'm trying to make when you tell us that cutting off Putin is going to raise the price of gas. Yeah, we don't want to be dependent on a crazy evil person. Uh, Chris Christie on the topic also. You have to ban Russian oil, and you have to increase domestic production. And that is where Joe Biden's going to have the problem, because he's held captive by the environmental left. That, when John, <laughs> Kerry, John <laughs> Kerry, his guy, said uh, last week... 
that the real tragedy of Ukraine is it's slowing our efforts on climate change. That will summarize what the far left's view is about domestic oil production. Those are both Republicans. How about one Democrat before we get into the projections? We have the ability to ratchet up and be able to backfill. Mm -hmm. We have the energy. We have the resources here. And we have the technology. We're a million barrels short a day right now that we can just ramp up like that. We can do certain things. And we don't have to put any more pain on the American people that are already suffering with inflation now. You want bipartisan support for something, Mr. President? You got it right there. Boy, I got to point out how Chris Christie was almost shouted down by the other people on the panel for even raising the insane, ridiculous point of view that the environmental left has a lot of pull in the Democratic Party, often toward policies that don't make any sense. They just reject. They tried to shout him down. Please. Self-evident. It makes zero sense that we could produce all the oil we need, but we don't because we're green. But we use the same amount, and we Venezuela do it, and we buy it from Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or Russia. How is that possibly better for the world? Let me see how many craps I give about the environment. Uh, No craps. I give no craps. (laughs) But we're farming our oil production out to them in the name of the environment. What the hell is the matter with you people? Anyway, so if we do, and it looks like we're going to decide to, we don't take Russian oil anymore. Analysts at Bank of America warned warned or pointed out that if most of Russia's oil's exports exports are cut off there could be a 5 million barrel a day shortfall or more heading to oil prices that will double from the current $100 to $200 a barrel yikes JP Morgan a little less dramatic but they said oil would go to 185 a barrel it's currently like a dollar eight or a hundred and eight or something like that. Yeah, it's it's higher than that now. But so one eighty five is the sober analysis, right? Oh boy. Well, um, which which uh, in the short term, it's worth pointing this out. Actually, benefits Russia because they can still continue to sell to the Chinese, and the higher the price of oil, the better it is for Putin. One of the numbers on the benchmark Brent oil, whatever that means, is at 139.13 this morning, up 20% from Friday. Yikes. What does that do to gas eventually? Uh, it'll go up by a similar percentage. Well, if, if, the, if a barrel of oil doubles, you think the price of gas will double? So Californians will be paying nearly... $12 a gallon in Los Angeles? Gosh, I don't know. I don't know if it's that direct. I'd, I'd be guessing. Okay, so if it was a half again bigger. Yes, it would be nine expensive AF, as the kids say. And how, Shockingly, lifestyle changingly. And how do you expect Americans to uh, react to that politically? Given the current sentiment, they will blame Putin for starting the war. Good. Well, you should. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. That's the yeah. place to put your anger. Yeah, although, I think so. Although I tweeted out, I tweeted out one of the pictures that you find at gas stations all over America. Oh boy, yeah. Either the little <laughs> "Let's go, Brandon," or I really like the Biden. I did that, right? You know where he points at it, and people put the sticker on there pointing to the price of the gas. Right. You're going to see more and more of those because while Putin did start the war, as you just heard from two Republicans and the Democrat, us cutting back on our production has a role. Well, yeah, and and the especially vexing part of it is that we cut back on our production in ways that we can't undo for one to two years, optimistically, if the oil companies can find workers. 
Mm. Never mind getting the gear re, you know, uh, set up to work again, and and it has to be prepared and reconditioned and the rest of it. You got to find people, which any employer listening can tell you is is kind of difficult these days. Yeah. So uh, a slight change of topic because uh, next segment we're going to get to how crazy Putin might be or not. Um, on your topic of finding workers, I have mentioned this a number of times of. Uh, amazement and compassion for the the last level of workers that are out there that are now being hired. I'm so interested in this topic. I, I hope it's explored more by, I don't know, documentary film filmmakers or PhD students or somebody. So for most of American history, it's been seen that like 4% is roughly as low as you can get on unemployment. But so... Is that as low as we would ever want to get? As we were finding, apparently, that as you start to bump up against that next crowd of people that are out there, they're just, and I hate to say this. Mm, Careful. Well, it's true. They're practically worthless. There's a worthless, like, 3% of workers out there. You don't want them working at your business. You don't want to encounter them at a restaurant or, a, or a, a, a cash register anywhere. They just are completely unemployable. Is that, <sighs> has that always been the, the case with human humanity? That Can about- we use the term inexcellent or something as opposed to worthless? I mean, they will bring you the water you asked for eventually, probably. If there's nobody there, that water ain't going to walk itself to your table. Inexcellent. So they have <laughs> worth. Inexcellent. They are of questionable uh, quality. Well, has it always been true in human history, though, that about whatever it is, two, three percent of humans just have nothing to offer society from a from an economic standpoint? No, because, uh, well, yeah, uh, that the, who that is changes, though, because in the past, just having a strong back was enough to give you plenty of worth. But now that guy can't find a job. Not particularly bright, strong, but dumb, frankly. Yeah, it's a t- it's tough times for people like that. Oof. You know, and, and a, a lot of these people didn't choose to be that way. Some did. Sure, through, drugs, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but most didn't. And uh, and I have I do have compassion for that. But I just I think it's interesting to find out that there's about three percent of Americans that you don't want working. It's certainly not in the service economy, but that unemployable group, uh, very uh, you know, in yesteryear and not very long ago, could have been the incredibly smart and cerebral, but physically infirm. They were good point. Not useful very, as workers. Very good point. You get, get out on the plains of where I'm from a hundred years ago, and the fact that you're uh, smart as heck with math might have been completely worthless mm-hmm. to the local town if you weren't strong enough to lift bales of hay all day long. Right. You're right. It changes over time. Oof. So I urge you to be more careful with your verbiage, sir. So we're supposed to go with inexcellent. I don't know. That's a good one. <laughs> good term. Just worthless, crappy, that sort of thing. I just I don't think it helps anybody. It's a bad look. Probably does. You're wearing a suit, but you say stuff like that. <laughs> Better to remain silent and be thought a fool. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Something, something, something. <laughs> Is Putin crazy next?
The Armstrong and Getty Show. He also, in a conversation he had with Condi Rice, he said that um, Russia has only been great when it's been under a strong leader. Mm -hmm. And what was his definition of strong leaders? Peter the Great, Catherine the Great, Ivan the Terrible, and Joseph Stalin. That's the tradition in which he, I think, sees himself as the great restorer of the Russian Empire. That's really what this is about. We have to understand that Putin is bent on a military victory. He wants to destroy Ukraine, decapitate the leadership. Uh, he doesn't care about how many casualties this causes, what happens to the civilian population. Uh, this is a, a messianic mission that he is on. This is why he has to be stopped. Yeah, and that's why I think the, a lot of right-wing arguments that we put him in a position where he had no choice by talking about NATO, he's wanted Ukraine for empire reasons for his entire life and georgia and other places yeah absolutely true Mm -hmm. uh that was stephen hadley and uh kurt volker by the way for those of you who are up on diplomats of yesteryear (laughs) and and you know this year as well sure came across this thread about uh putin's mindset in this situation i thought it was very very interesting it's from andrei kosirev who was a russian diplomat who was getting out as putin was consolidating power he didn't like the the cut of his jib as they say and i'll just read you some of it um I just, I'm super into the stuff. I hope you find it as interesting as I did. Uh, he says, lots of discussions about the threat of nuclear war from the Kremlin and whether Putin is rational. I share my thoughts in this thread. To frame, I do not believe Russia would use nuclear weapons, and I believe Putin is a rational actor. First of all, I want to examine where the questioning of Putin's rationality started. I think it began because most people, particularly in the West, view his decision to invade Ukraine as utterly irrational. I disagree. It's horrific, but not irrational. To understand why the invasion was rational for Putin, we have to step into his shoes. Three beliefs came together at the same time in his calculus. One, uh, on Ukraine's condition as a country, which we'll get to. Two, Russia's military condition. And three, the West's geopolitical condition. One, on Ukraine's condition. Putin spent the last 20 years believing that Ukraine is not a real nation and at best should be a satellite state. As uh, Stephen Hadley put it in a different clip, that Russia can't be an empire without Ukraine. They need Ukraine to be what they're supposed to be. Uh, Maidan, the giant uh, protest and everything that overthrew the Kremlin-linked government a number of years back, uh, ended any hope of keeping Ukraine independent and pro-Kremlin. Putin thought the West was behind it. If Ukraine's government cannot be kept independent and pro-Kremlin covertly, uh, then he will overtly force it to be. He also started to believe his own propagandists that Ukraine is run by a Nazi bandera junta. Perfect pretext to denazify Ukraine. So he believes those people. Yeah, which is a little loopy. Um, that's almost irrational. But God, I'd say. Well, we'll go on. Two, the Russian, and yes, we're aware of the neo-Nazi movement in Ukraine. Thank you. Send along your links. Thanks. Fine. We've seen them. Two, Russian military. The Kremlin spent the last 20 years trying to modernize its military. Much of that budget was stolen and spent on mega yachts in Cyprus. But as a military advisor, you cannot report that to the president. So they reported lies to him instead. A Potemkin military. If you're familiar with that reference. I did not know this. Wow. So he... Putin thinks his military is better than it is. According to this guy. Well, if uh, if that's the case, then he's shocked to see it bogged down in the mud with bad tires, etc. 
Right, and inability to deliver gasoline and food on time. I can't remember the name of the number one uh, in the Russian military, but he's a trusted advisor to Putin and often seen as Putin's successor. And this is going to weaken him terribly, but that's a that's another topic for another day. Uh, and, and the third uh, calculation by Putin about the West. The Russian ruling elite believed its own propaganda that President Biden is mentally inept. Well, hmm. they also thought the EU was weak because of how toothless their sanctions were in 2014. That was the snatching of Crimea. And then the U.S. botched its withdrawal from Afghanistan, solidifying this narrative. If you believe all three of the above to be true, and it's your goal to restore the glory of the Russian Empire, whatever that means, then it is perfectly rational to invade Ukraine. He miscalculated on all three, but that doesn't make him insane, simply wrong and immoral. So in my opinion, he is rational. Given that he's rational, I strongly believe he will not intentionally use nuclear weapons against the West. I say intentionally because indiscriminate shelling near a nuclear plant can cause an unintentional nuclear disaster in Ukraine. Oh, that reminds me. i got to talk about Chernobyl in a minute. I will take it a step further. The threat of nuclear war is another example of his rationality. The Kremlin knows it can try to extract concessions, whether from Ukraine or the West, by saber-rattling its last remaining card in the deck, nuclear weapons. The ultimate conclusion here is that the West should not agree to any unilateral concessions or limit its support to Ukraine too much uh, for the fear of nuclear war. It's one guy, Russian diplomat, didn't like Putin, got out. That's a hell of a gamble. I mean, you are, uh, you know, here's the way I see it. Oh, guess I was wrong about that as the mushroom clouds go up. Right. Um, well, and then I would counter, and, and both are absolutely true, letting totalitarians run roughshod over the free world, even as flawed a democracy as uh, Ukraine has its own enormous risk. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm more on the side of the Wall Street Journal. Let's stop telling Putin things we won't do. Um, But so we're slicing it so thin. I think this is really interesting. Yesterday, Secretary of State Blinken said NATO countries have the green light to send fighter jets to Ukraine. Okay, so jets are going to be transferred from Poland to Ukraine. Poland agreed to this because Poland doesn't want to lose their air force. So we're helping them out by by refilling their planes. So they're going to give planes to Ukraine. Then we're going to give F-16s to Poland so that their air force will still be whole. Well, not only that, it's an upgrade. They're going to get some really good planes. And as somebody pointed out here, I didn't pay the guy you're fighting. My neighbor did. I just paid my neighbor's rent this month because he was broke. I mean, that is exactly what's happening. I mean, planes are fungible. Um, it's and and that passes for not directly being involved or directly aren't. I, I don't. You know, I don't know. I guess it works. Well, right. So everybody passes their planes one down the line. But the big superpower that makes the planes can't be blamed for that maneuver. But the United States is not specifically providing planes to the Ukrainians. That would be crossing a line. We're giving them guns and bombs and Stinger anti-aircraft missiles and everything else. What what is is planes over the line? Which line? And in effect, giving them planes? Well, right. Of course. So... That's, Everybody that's what's passed so, with your plate one to the right. That's what's so weird about how thinly sliced this is of what would trigger World War Three. Yeah. Poland gives them a plane. We give Poland a plane. <laughs> but if we gave planes directly to Ukraine, that'd be crossing the line and then it's World War Three. All right. And, and we certainly can't have an American pilot in a plane. Can we have an American uh, mechanic on the ground? Can we have him on the ground in Poland? 
Then he fixes the plane and it goes back across the border? Almost That's certainly. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, it's Poland. Yeah. They're a NATO country. Yeah. Uh, and this is the stuff on which nuclear holocaust balances? Yeah. Maybe? Right. I, I hope this diplomat guy, Andrei Kosyarev, is right that Putin's not going to start a nuclear holocaust. He's rational. He's just wrong. This whole question of rational and how you define rational wearing me out. Yeah. I, you know. Here, here. Here, here. Yeah. <laughs> now. There's rational, there's stupid, there's wise. Misguided, losing yeah. your temper. Exactly. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm a rational man, very rational. When I lose my temper, I'm not. So, ugh. that's my conclusion. Quote me. Or sometimes you get pushed into a corner. You don't, you're not, don't make rational decisions. Right. Right. Craziness. <sighs> and the American people, what do we think? Opinions in Europe have turned on a dime. Changes I never thought I would see about the Nord Stream pipeline, etc. We'll bring you a little more of that. Plus some some non-Ukraine stuff that's worth getting to on the home front next hour. If you don't get the next hour, grab it via podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. That's pretty cool. You can get just like an individual hour of the show. Sure. Through podcast form at armstrongandgetty.com. You got to go to work or whatever. Yeah, listen later. I was completely unaware of this. That sounds pretty cool. Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Duncan has announced a new beverage called the Shamrock Macchiato which combines espresso, vanilla, and Irish cream. It's the festive sugary drink that will have you saying top o the morning and losing the bottom o your leg. Jeez. Wow, that's some dark diabetes humor. I got a laugh out of me. That's some good writing. That's good. Yeah, weekend update I can watch on that show. Otherwise, it's a minefield of just, you you know what it is. So a lot of good stuff to talk about. I mean, we're going to absolutely get back to Ukraine and the various uh, aspects of that situation from American and NATO policy to the the Xi and Putin relationship. And there are a lot of foreign policy wonks who think the old chairman Xi is is there uh, at the Forbidden City thinking, what kind of an alliance did I get myself in, into? This Putin guy is blowing everything. I hope so. Um, calls to boycott Coca-Cola growing. Do you know this story? Stay tuned. Mm, okay. Coca-Cola's my go-to dark, fuzzy drink if I ever drink a pop, which I've had two in the last 20 years. But if I do, it's always a Coca-Cola. I used to wake up from naps. I napped almost every day um, uh, for a long time um, when I had kids because I wanted to be able to put them to bed and everything with our crazy hours. And my go-to is a, a diet uh, Coke when I got up after a nap. But then I read all uh, Take how bad it is. That's right, sir. Uh, then I read how bad it is for you. So I haven't had one in years. Why don't you just have a cup of strychnine when you get up from your nap? Because that would kill me. Anyway, so uh, among other things I want to talk about, a couple stories. And this is, I swear to ye. The giant domestic story we can't lose sight of while we're paying attention to international stuff. And that is the sorry state of American public schools. Did a Zoom call with, um, with my kids and my dad and my sister last night. And we talked about a, a number of different things. But 
one of the topics was one of my kids has a friend who um, is certified as a school teacher, but went into another line of work. That job's not working out very well. And she was thinking of substitute teaching because um, because they're so in demand mm. and, and the money's really good right now. And the rest of it turns out and this is a major public school district. I'm not going to mention places or anything. I have not been authorized, but. They said, yeah, yeah, we'll get you into the school. We'll, we'll, yeah, we class for you. No interview, no drug test, no nothing. You fog a mirror, get in here. Story about a kindergarten teacher, kindergarten teacher, leading his kids down the hallway. And uh, one of the kids runs up to tattle on another kid. And this is like all the classes are in the hallway. The little kid says to his teacher, Jimmy's acting up, blah, blah, blah. And the teacher looks down and says, do I look like I give a blank? Wow. He used a cuss word to a kindergarten. Wow. That and person talking, should not be teaching kindergarten. Well, and they talk about the number of teachers who've just given their two weeks. So you have that, and, and COVID exacerbated a lot of terrible trends. We all know that. Um, and then you have the fact that, and we got this note from a friend who, uh, I'll keep it very vague, but has children in the Bay Area, San Francisco, and they are being taught wholesale woke politics in virtually every class. Call it critical race theory, call it wokeism, call it white guilt, call it whatever you want. Don't hide behind terminology. They are being taught this uh, systemic racism top to bottom. Incredibly troubling. Um, and, and, and she sent along a number of, uh, a number of examples. And, and thou shalt not dissent in any way or raise any questions or you will be labeled as a racist, uh, white fragility, the rest of it. These are little kids. So you combine all of those issues and there is a crisis in American public education. Reaches all the way up into college. Story out of San Diego State University. Formerly a solid institute of higher education. Shirt sure, had, you know, the liberals that the Ivy Tower always had, but, you know, San Diego staunchly uh, pro-military, pro-America, good, balanced electorate, sane. Well, it's swinging further and further left. Listen to the particulars of this. You can almost check off, we can, we can almost play insane woke bingo with all the crazy details of this story. It's an incident involving J. Angelo Corlette, who's a tenured philosophy professor, who is relieved of his duties teaching two courses, one on critical thinking, the other on race and racism. Hmm. Corlett told the Union Tribune, a formerly great newspaper, he had used informational slides in both classes that listed 10 to 12 epithets that had been used against black, Hispanic, Latino, isn't that the same thing, Asian and white people. Says Corlett, who is Latino himself, 63 years old. He said, you have to mention the words in order to explain why they are racist and should not be used. Their origin, that sort of thing. I'm sorry. New York Times declared intent doesn't matter. New York Times is full of crap. Quote, some students are confused about what counts as racism, and some are more concerned about being offended than learning about the logic and science of language. On March 1st, an unidentified black student who is not registered in one of his classes, stopped by and repeatedly challenged Corlett's mention of epithets, particularly one regarded as the most offensive slur against black people. I think you can probably guess what that might be. So this guy's not even in the class. He walks in and says, you shouldn't be teaching what you're teaching. This is so out of Mao's cultural revolution. It's unbelievable. 
Corlett said he responded to the visitor in part by verbally mentioning epithets to illustrate the nature of the lesson. He claims he did not encourage his students to do the same. Of course he didn't. Later that day, he was notified by the terrifying, cringing cowards of the university that he would not be teaching the two courses for the rest of the semester. Said Luke Wood, who has a head full of it, apparently. We've had a number of students who have come forward and who have complained about their experience at Professor Corlett's classes. This happened this semester, but it's also been a routine experience. We took that into account. This is really a case of a faculty member who is being reassigned. This is not, listen to this, this is not about free expression or academic freedom, but about teaching assignments. Luke Wood, you, you should are go to a coward for, and a liar and Jack. You should go to work for Putin. That's some pretty good stuff. Yeah, We're, Luke Wood, San Diego State University, Vice President for Student Affairs and Campus Diversity. You should apply with both Putin and Chairman Xi and see who can get you a better job, a better offer. Making up crap. We're getting rid of Nazis. That's what we're doing. Holy crap. Way He's to been be... using that teaching technique for over 20 years, by the way. Wow. That should yeah. bother people. He's written wildly on, uh, widely on the subject, including publishing the book, Well-Regarded Race, Racism, and Reparations. Quote, I am not a racist. I neither mention nor use racial epithets beyond the classroom, said Corlett, defending himself, not realizing there's no defense professor when the Red Guard comes for you. We are pre-enlightenment in some areas of the country. Right. That professor uttered a magic incantation that might bring forth a demon. Yeah. And so he must be punished for that. Unbelievable. Number of students, by the way, came out and said, this is crazy. I support the professor. Good for you, kids. Way to show courage and good sense. So President Zelensky of Ukraine has just given a speech in which I don't know which airport. One of the major airports has been completely destroyed by the Russians. When all the airports are destroyed, and they will be, maybe by the end of this week, then obviously... No armaments are flying in. Everything will have to travel over ground. When they can close off the cities and circle them, then we won't be able to get anything into the cities. Yeah, it's a rather important detail. I'm glad you brought this up, that the route from Poland through the west of the country is still available to ship arms via trucks and that sort of thing. It's also a bit of a mystery why Putin's air force hasn't taken a bigger role in this. It's mostly been artillery and shelling and rockets and that sort of thing as opposed to you know, precision munitions uh, from fighter planes and bombers and that sort of thing. And nobody's quite sure why, but I'm, I'm glad for now. So I forget what I was watching, but uh, one of your smart people who understands how these things work, his prediction was long term, the Ukrainian government will retreat to one of the towns in the West. Ukraine will be able to hang on to that like Western quarter to a third of their country. Supplied by Poland, armed by the rest of the world. Putin will have the rest of the country and be fighting a an insurgency for as long as he can hold out. There, there's no good end to this for Putin, which is the, one of the weird things of this. Right. Go ahead and prosecute this, you crazy person. There is nobody thinking you're going to have a good outcome. Nobody. No, no, I literally can't come across anybody who expresses that, oh, yeah, no, this will work out for Putin. I can't find anybody saying that. No. It's just different levels of disaster for his own country or Russia and then just fighting in Ukraine for no particular good reason, slaughtering people, having his troops get slaughtered, spending tons of money. Having his military exposed is hollow. Having his economy destroyed. 
Yeah, that's something. Um, oh, I have the speech uh, President Zelensky gave yesterday, I believe, that transcript in English. It's, I, it's interesting I, and moving. I just read it was a humdinger, like a really seriously Churchillian speech. Oh, yeah, he's bringing it. Um, calls to boycott Coca-Cola. Have you heard about this? Why? Have that for you next. Armstrong and Getty. Today is Forgiveness Sunday, but we cannot forgive the hundreds upon hundreds of victims, nor the thousands upon thousands who have suffered, and God will not forgive. Not today, not tomorrow, never. And instead of forgiveness, there will be judgment. President Zelensky with an address to the Ukrainian people last night that is getting a lot of attention. Yeah, it's brilliant stuff. It is, you know, Churchillian. Uh, I'm looking at the transcript right now. Um, We will not forgive the shooting of unarmed people, the destruction of our infrastructure. We will not forgive hundreds and hundreds of victims, thousands, thousands, as we heard. Um and and one of the things he talks about is the fact that uh, the they keep arriving at a ceasefire so civilians can evacuate. Then the minute that they start, the Russians begin shelling again, killing people who are just trying to evacuate or forcing everybody to run back inside with their children and their suitcase and everything and, and hunker down in bomb shelters again. It's utterly savage. It's not shocking to me that Putin's trying to recruit Syrian veterans of the slaughter of the Syrian people now because he knows they have no souls. No, announcing that okay, we'll let uh, you know we'll let women and children uh, leave the town, cease fire, and then as soon as they come out, you start killing them is like the dirtiest pool you can play in the warfare game. And the fact that there's still conversations of has he committed war crimes? What is oh, that? Who is that for? What what is the what is the dance on that, where our government's unwilling to state out loud that he's committing war crimes? To tell you another one of uh, his big themes was, um, and he talks about the shelling of cities. Um, uh, thousands of people work there. Hundreds of thousands live nearby. This is murder, deliberate murder. And I have not heard a reaction from any world leader today, from any Western politician, reaction to this announcement. Think about the sense of impunity of the invaders. They announced their planned atrocities. Why? But there is no reaction because there is silence, not a word, as if the Western leaders had dissolved tonight. For this is day. I hope that at least tomorrow you'll notice it. React. Say something. We know exactly who prepared this attack. We know exactly how orders will follow the vertical command. We know everything. Yeah, need to be reminded that, uh, not to always bring it back to Winston Churchill, but he said similar things in a lot of speeches as London was nearly bombed out of existence. Hey, United States. Hey, rest of the world. You going to help us or what? And we didn't until we were attacked by Japan. Yeah, well, we we did help in some ways, but we didn't go in whole hog. No. Yeah, well, because we didn't want to, you know, start a war with Hitler. Right, and there were a lot of post-WW1 laws and rules and regulations and traditions in place. It's always complicated. Of course, the lesson might be, 
hey, when you got somebody on the stage who looks like they're willing to roll over countries, you're going to end up fighting them at some point. How about you do it before they kill thousands and thousands of innocents? Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, by the way, you're going to hear the uh, the the phrase "Glory to Ukraine," which is how the president signed off his address, the president of Ukraine, uh, last night. That was a phrase that was banned during the Soviet Union. Oh wow! Didn't know that. Yep. Does the uh, well the the Politburo banned even saying that, even trying to say that Ukraine was a separate place and a separate people and and had a right to exist. Um, and so that's why everybody signs off with it. It's a thumb in the eye of Moscow. So are you following the Coca-Cola story? Calls to boycott Coca-Cola growing over the weekend as the company refuses to pull out of Russia? Three Ukrainian supermarket chains announced they would remove Coca-Cola products from their shelves because they don't like the fact that Coca-Cola is still selling products in Russia. Lots of other companies have pulled out. Apple, Microsoft, Visa, MasterCard. I mean, you could go down a long list of companies that have pulled out of Russia now. Coca-Cola has not. One of the points that's being made are by critics contrasting Coca-Cola's posture toward Russia with its forceful condemnation of the United States or the U.S. state of Georgia in 2021 because of their governor signing the voting reform legislation into law. The Jim Crow on steroids. Exactly. Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy went on national television, if you'll remember, and called the Georgia legislation unacceptable and a step backward, adding that this legislation is wrong and needs to be remedied, and we will continue to advocate it for both in private and more clearly in public. Um, We're going to do business in Russia, though. That's, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, slaughtering women and children in the street. That's fine. Yeah. Pretty well, weak. let's face it. Let's face it. They looked at polls. A lot of black people drink Coke. A lot of black people were mad at the legislation in Georgia, mostly because they'd been uninformed. Uh, so we're just going to come out and say we're against this to sell more Coca-Cola. You can't underestimate the, uh, or you can't overestimate the cynicism of these people. It's, it is ex- it's great. It has expanded to Pepsi, Cola, and McDonald's over the weekend. The same kind of calls for boycotts because they're all still doing business in Russia. I'm not really a boycott guy, and I don't remember specifically, but I'll bet Pepsi and McDonald's made lots of noises about how awful various things the United States did, uh, were doing over the last couple of years. But keeping their mouths shut about Russia. And China, of course. And China, sure. always. Uh, always sure. Remember the old genocide? Yeah, it's still going on there. The Uyghurs, etc. We'll have to talk about that again later. This idea of corporations going to war against a country, financially. N- not in conjunction with our government, just on their own. Yep, great topic. In terms of Coca-Cola, you're either political or you're apolitical. And if you're going to be political, you better be political all the way, because we're noticing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The uh, Russian attempt to quickly take down the Ukrainian government has clearly failed. The Russians stalled. But we've got to remember, they're stalled, but this is not a spent force. We've seen the satellite photos of that convoy stuck on the road northwest of, of Kiev. 
There's another convoy east of Kyiv, which is a, a tank column, almost a division's worth of tanks. They ended up there when they ran out of gas, literally ran out of gas. But they've been refueled now. And you can just see that it, uh, it seems to be a matter of time before this push from the northwest and this push from the east come together in an encirclement. David Martin, CBS News. That's the only place I had heard about that tank column convoy that's headed toward Kiev as soon as they get enough gasoline. And uh, I hope we can get enough of those tank-killing missiles and whatever they need to blow up those tanks as they come in. Well, ultimately, you know, if you're a betting man, you still have to say the Russian forces will eventually crush most of the resistance. But, man, if the uh, Ukrainian, uh, brave Ukrainian fighters can run that price tag up high enough in terms of blood and treasure for Putin, that could change everything. But, you know, right. in what way, it's difficult to say. Right. So a couple things on that. Um, one, I heard a Ukrainian commander on the news today say, out in the open, we're about evenly matched. But when they get into the city, we have the advantage by far. So they're headed into the city. Uh, the other thing is, I didn't know this, so why is it so popular to capture these Russians and have them call their moms? I was completely unaware of this. A lot of people feel the tide was turned on Russia being in Afghanistan by a political force known as Russian moms. Oh, when right. their sons were dying in Afghanistan and they kind of banded together as a political block of protesters. That put a lot of pressure on the Soviet Union to get out. And so Ukraine knows this and is trying to get to the Russian moms. I had forgotten that. Wow, I remember reading it at the time. You know, which, and, and let me interject this real quickly because I know you have a lot of stuff you want to talk about, Jack. No but, hurry. Um, I, I was reminded, I think it was by the Atlantic, why the Russians seizing Chernobyl was such a big deal. And. And at the time, I think one of Seth Meyers or somebody said, the, the Ukrainians said, go ahead and take it. <laughs> you know, some fine American late night humor. Chernobyl is an incredibly powerful symbol, a searing, never to be forgotten symbol of what was done to Ukraine by the Soviets. Them and their dangerous, poorly run reactor, which killed so many Ukrainians, sickened so many, gave so many cancer. And then when the disaster unfolded, the Soviets covered it and, and didn't tell mm. Ukrainians. And the fact that the Russians would come in and say, yeah, this is ours now. Ukrainians are thinking, hell yeah, it's yours. It's always been yours. And we don't forget what you did to us. Wow. Yeah. So that's the significance of seizing uh chernobyl for a lot of ukrainians man there's a hell of a lot of history in that part of the world oh yeah between all these players involved poland germany ukraine and russia obviously got it's got a couple of tweets for you this is uh francis macron a little bit ago russia is pleading for humanitarian corridors to russia this is hypocrisy an artifact of communication that i condemn this is moral and political cynicism that i cannot bear yeah, some of the corridors Russia is offering. Hey, if you want to leave Ukraine, come right into Russia or Belarus. These are the corridors we've opened for you. You try to go the other direction, we will bomb you as you leave. Right. With your luggage and your pets. Another tweet from, I don't know Tim Mack. Should I know Tim Mack? 
Uh, good morning from you. Must be a reporter from Ukraine. Good morning from Ukraine to our U.S. readers. Kiev remains under Ukrainian control. And not only that, a senior U.S. defense official said Russian forces don't appear to have made significant progress despite committing near 95% of the forces they had staged. All right. I uh, I like hearing that news, but I continue to feel like Joe said a little bit ago that it's it's just a matter of time. And unless there's a no-fly zone or something like that, some major development, it's just a matter of time. A couple of more things, and I'm just going through all my notes from the weekend. Came across this, an old Soviet joke I hadn't heard before. We're very proud in our country that we have the world's fastest watches and the world's largest microprocessors. That's a pretty good joke about how sucky they are. Oh. And they still are technologically sucky. We have the world's fastest watchers and the watches and the world's largest microprocessors. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's subtle. It's dry humor. I find this troubling. I hope it's still not true today. I think it probably is. The United States is not. This is something. Who's been uh, screaming for this? Um, uh, ben Sass, Senator Ben Sass. This has been his cause for the last couple of weeks. The United States is not sharing the most sensitive intelligence that it could to enable lethal strikes against the Russians. We're not sharing that with the Ukrainian forces. So we know exactly where, you know, this the aircraft is going to be or is right now, but we won't share that information, those coordinates with the Ukrainians. Why? In, in part over concerns about being seen as a direct participant in the war. Again, um. to those very thinly sliced layers of participation so a no-fly zone clearly everybody agrees but we're poland's giving planes to ukraine and then we're backfilling poland on the planes which is basically the same as us giving planes to ukraine well and as i understand it we give them satellite pictures and that sort of thing but there's a couple of hours process that that we have to cleanse every sign of where they came from before we give them to ukraine where do where do you think they came from where does putin think they came from where they came from. I was hailing Apple pulling out of Ukraine. Eh, there's another little note to that that you ought to know about. But first, we can tell you about Simply Safe. Simply Safe Home Security, best home security of 2021, according to U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science. In fact, U.S. News just named Simply Safe the best home security of 2022 as well. They're Johnny on the spot. Um, Simply Safe is so good, you always know what's happening. At your home, around your home, 24-7, every door, window, and room. There's never a long-term contract. You can even try it for 60 days risk-free to see if you like it. If you don't, send it back free of charge. This is not the way it works with other security systems that aren't as good. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day, and you can set it up in around 30 minutes, and it's very simple to use. Love that all-new wireless outdoor security camera. You always know what's going on inside and outside your home, even uh, when you're away on your cell phone. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafecom slash Armstrong. Go today, claim a free indoor security camera, plus 20% off with interactive monitor. Monitoring, rather, that's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Click around, figure it out. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So Apple pulled out of Russia, as has Microsoft, as has Google, as has a whole bunch of other country, companies. Lots of companies. All the credit card companies, we mentioned that earlier. And it's kind of interesting the way the corporate world is waging war separately from our government on uh, on on Russia maybe we, we ought to talk more about that yeah, yeah. such an interesting topic we'll get into that later but apple pulling out so their website where they have crimea listed is one of the places where they did business 
It said location Crimea up until two days ago when they pulled out. Now it says Crimea, Ukraine. They left out the fact that Crimea was part of Ukraine when they were still doing business in Russia because they didn't Mm -hmm. want to anger the Russians. Okay, so, you know. You can't always be 100% brave, can you? No, it's a complicated thing running a global corporation right now. You know, I have some level of sympathy. Putin, in his call with Germany's Schultz over the weekend, the chancellor, denied Russia was bombing Ukrainian cities, dismissed such information as gross propaganda fakes. What? What's the point of that? I don't know. What the hell's that all about? Ian Bremmer tweeted out, Schultz really doesn't like being lied to his face. Putin doesn't think it brings consequences, but it's materially worse for him. I gotta think that on a very personal level, you're at least this percentage more likely to take that next step when a guy's lying to your face and treating you like you're a fool. Well, right. And a punk who he can push around. I mean, Putin damn near literally peeing on his leg and telling him it's raining. People don't take kindly to that. Gas prices are going to go up. There's just no way to get around it. A lot of projections are price of oil might double from where it is now, and it's already at near record highs. Um, I tweeted out a picture over the weekend as a gas station and had one of those stickers of Joe Biden pointing toward the dollar counter saying, I did that. Uh, came across this article, an Alabama gas station manager says he, <laughs> he has to remove up to six Joe Biden, I did that stickers from the gas pumps per day. <laughs> Just leave them there. I suppose, for depending on where you are, for the most part, there's no you don't want to get involved in politics. But that's hilarious. Yeah. You spend half your time scraping Biden stickers <laughs> off of gas pumps. True international average of pressure. Wow, that's an odd brand of populist politics right there. <laughs> well, we like to have somebody to blame. So I, one of the reasons I bring that up is if indeed we're going to cut off oil from Russia to the United States and it has an effect on our gas prices or just the invasion of Ukraine makes the price of gas go up. Are we going to blame Biden? Are we going to blame Putin? How long are we we willing to put up with our involvement in Ukraine if gas stays high? I don't know. I don't know how these things will play out. And one more thing I heard somebody brought up over the weekend and it's dang true. I hate to get into this brand of partisan politics when you've got such a serious war going on oh heard somebody talking about their college kid and how their college kid uh, pointed out to him this is the first issue that we all agree on at school that in, in ever so finally for the first time you can have your republican friends and your democrat friends all agree that putin is evil and we need to fight the bastard and we're on the side of the ukrainians been a long time since we've had an issue that everybody can come together on that could have been a college student saying that that could have been the secretary general of nato saying that same thing yeah absolutely right but i heard somebody bring this up imagine or guess how the media and democrats would be treating this whole story if trump were president but we were doing exactly the same thing if we're doing and saying exactly the same thing and trump was president and his white house was saying well i'm not sure cutting off the russian oil supply is a good idea that's something we're looking at if he was hesitating the right. way jen saki was over the weekend 
You know what? Damn it, people! What you know? The media would be going crazy with well, Trump. You know, he's a answers to Putin because Putin's got dirt on him. The PP tape or whatever you're claiming, right, and uh, and that's why. Trump's unwilling to cut off the oil supply, or just just maybe even as simple as not establishing a no-fly zone. Oh, of course he doesn't want to get involved in a war with Russia. He's not going to go against his old friend Putin. You know that's what people would be saying. Well, and and Trump would probably be saying things that would cloud the water. Probably. As he is now. Yeah. So uh, civilization continues to crumble uh, in uh, the United States. Another brazen robbery in San Francisco. It's kind of <sighs> another day, another dollar. Plus, uh, Lori London, mayor of Chicago, bragging about the size of her schwanz. In, uh, she has a... Mm, she claims she does, and it's a big one. What? I know. I it's like, crazy. I don't like the direction this show is taken. These are odd times. They are very odd. As Hunter Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. I'll have to stay tuned for that stuff. Please do, yes. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Sajak is asking Wheel of Fortune fans to stop making fun of the two contestants who were unable to solve an easy puzzle, saying, quote, have a little heart. Or, as the contestants would guess, haze a nipple heave. <laughs> that's that a, was not kind. That's an excellent joke. That was not kind. <laughs> So a couple of quick notes. Number one, I'm informed that the Friday One More Thing podcast, which can only be obtained through armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you download podcasts. It's never aired. It's just a podcast. Is uh, one of the A&G classics that Michael sets up and, and, and brings you from 2004, apparently the day after or Monday after you, Jack, threw some sort of martini party. Do you remember that, Jack? No. No. There's a piano player I, involved, right, Michael? I, yeah, that's right. I couldn't right. tell you I'd ever been to a martini party, let alone thrown one. And you drank a lot of them. I did? Yes, you did. Um, That's a different Odd life, that you man. don't remember it. If you... As I get older, I no longer understand the point of experiences when you're younger. I mean, maybe they're fine at the time, but <laughs> at some point, they just become as irrelevant as if it happened to someone else. To me. Yeah, it lightens the load at the time, though, I think, you know. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't actually mean you shouldn't do anything, but okay. But the memories, they're no more relevant to your current life than if it had happened to someone else. Right. It's a story. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you can evoke some of your own emotions to it, but I don't know. I don't know. It's odd. Life is odd. Anyway. <laughs> it is. Uh, <clears throat> so a couple of stories for you very quickly. Number one, from San Francisco, another brazen theft at a Walgreens caught on camera. Young man sagging pants just goes right behind the counter as the two employees look on and fills a bag with all the uh, most expensive stuff that's hidden away behind the uh, counter. Awesome. They're doing nothing, as I'm sure they've been told not to do anything. A customer, who I'm guessing is an A&G fan, um, starts uh, cussing the guy out, starts uh, you know grilling him about what he's doing and who he thinks he is. And, and, and so the young man picks up a, 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 
a, a bunch of bananas and hurls it at our man who uh, who gets blasted by bananas in turn picks up the bananas and fires them back at the thief. Mm. And they continue to jaw at each other when the video ends. But, yeah, law and order is broken down completely. I wouldn't worry about it, though. That's not a scene of, uh, or a sign, rather, of worse things to come. So, no worries. Sounds like we're living in a planet of the apes, if people are throwing <laughs> bananas at each other. It's an odd weapon. It's It was at hand. I can think of better weapons. Mm. Anyway, um, <clears throat> and I've seen Planet of the Apes. They didn't use bananas as weapons. No, they didn't. It was not a plot point. Mm. Anyway, uh, meanwhile in Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, got into a dispute. Here's what happened. According to a lawsuit filed against her in the city of Chicago, a lawyer who represents the Park District said Lightfoot cussed him and the then Park District General Counsel out. They'd made a deal with the Joint Civic Committee of Italian Americans to display the statue of Christopher Columbus that had been taken down in Chicago in 2020 at a Columbus Day parade. They were going to bring the thing out again and display it during the Columbus Day parade. Well, on a Zoom call, Lightfoot disparaged the two fellows in a profanity-like tirade, according to the lawsuit. I am going to use the word Rick instead of a common euphemism for the male uh, uh, genitals. Okay? I'm not going to use the actual term, even though Dick Nixon went by that name. Just question the taste. And this this is the recording, I believe. You ricks, what the F were you thinking? You make some kind of secret agreement with the Italians? What you were doing, you were out there measuring your ricks with the Italians to see who's got the biggest rick. You're out there stroking your ricks over the Columbus statue. I'm trying to keep Chicago police officers from being shot. You're trying to get them shot. My rick is bigger than yours and the Italians. I have the biggest rick in Chicago. Where did you go to law school? Did you even go to law school? Do you even have a law license? You have to submit any pleadings to John Hendricks before approval, before filing. John told you not to do an effing thing with that statue without my approval. Get that effing statue back before noon tomorrow, or I'm going to have you fired. What'd you do? Go to the University of Rick, spending all your Ricks to go there, driving there in a Rick? I mean, she she goes out of her way to use it for everything. Really, that was that was uh, there was a lot of Ricks in that screed. She seems obsessed with it. Well, she's got the biggest one, I guess, and that's she, why she calls yeah. them that. Yes, then refers to her own and, and I mean, the Italians. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just it's a right gratuitous. I'm not sure why she has to brag that hers is bigger than the Italians. I guess because they tried to go against her will. Man, that was straight out of Mayor Daly of of old, or you know. Tammany Hall. That's something. Yeah. Al Capone would be afraid of that gal. Uh, we got some updates on what's happening in Ukraine, among other things, to kick off hour four. If you miss an hour, grab the podcast, Armstrong and Getty.com. Armstrong and Getty.